Thanks, Jessica. All right, good morning, everybody. So we're going to be diving back into this series on Sermon on the Mount. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, would you open to Matthew chapter 5? And we'll dive right back into it. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, Cindy's passing them out. But just to kind of um, go back over, you know, Sermon on the Mount. So Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' main message to his followers. So Jesus started this ministry, he's gathered this big following of believers, and the, the primary message that he wants to pass on to the people that are following him, and the people that are going to be following him, become us, the church, the principles of the kingdom. You know, what does it mean to be followers of Jesus? What does it mean to follow me? And so he gives these principles, and he starts with the eight Beatitudes. And the eight Beatitudes are eight principles, or eight characteristics, spiritual attitudes or postures that Jesus gives as keys to his followers to follow the kingdom. These are the kingdom culture elements. These are like the constitution of the kingdom. And in fact, in Matthew, if you look at Matthew, in the very first verse of, of chapter 5, um, Jesus actually calls his, uh, the people that follow him to go up, and he goes up on a mountain. And that's actually the exact same phrasing used when Moses goes up on a mountain and receives the Ten Commandments. So Moses receives the Ten Commandments given as the law to the people, to the Israel people. Jesus gives these eight beatitudes, just commandments of the kingdom. These are the things that we must follow as the kingdom followers. When people talk about um, being uh, part of the kingdom of Jesus, well, what does that mean? You know, we've made Jesus our Lord. We've decided to follow him. We're, we're Christians. We've asked Jesus to be our Lord. But the practical steps of walking that out, that's why the Beatitudes are so important. Right? So these eight principles, even memorize them. You know, I, I remember when uh, in, in high school somebody told me that, oh, you're not a real Christian because you don't have the Ten Commandments memorized. I was like, well, you know, no, not really. So, but these are so important. These are actually the kingdom culture um, elements, all right? And, uh, and even though if you don't have them memorized, at least know them in, in, in your heart, you know? Uh, the same way that, you know, we're, we're citizens of the United States, you probably don't have the Constitution memorized, right? But you know what your rights are. You know what it means to be a United States, you know, somebody in the United States. You know what it means to value freedom of speech. You know what it means to have the right to bear arms. You know what it is to have the right to vote, right? You may not be able to list those things out um, unless you've... Do they make you list those out when you take a citizenship test? No? Alright. Big shake in his head. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff shaking his head too. Good for you, Jeff. <laughs> So you don't have to memorize this thing, but to know them in your heart. Because you ask every U.S. citizen, do you have the right to vote? Be like, yeah, of course. You know, I'm a U.S. citizen. I've got the right to vote. Yeah. Right? And so the same way, as followers of the kingdom of Jesus, these eight Beatitudes should be written on our heart. Even if you couldn't write them down on a piece of paper, you should know what it is to be blessed, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger for righteousness, to be pure in heart, to be merciful. To be peacemakers and to endure persecution even more, even as we get along in the ages, um, even more importantly, to endure persecution, uh, which is something I think in the U.S. We, we haven't quite endured quite as much, but it's coming. Jesus yeah. promises it's coming to his believers. One yeah. day. So, walking out these eight eight pillars, right, where if we call ourselves believers in Jesus, we must have these written in our hearts. And so, um, and, and in fact, in some translations, uh, it says, "Happy are those. Happy are those who follow." Um, happy, joyful, receive joy in Jesus by following these eight things. So he lays them out, um, and so we, we're going to dive into them, study them even deeper. And last week, um, Priscilla talked about um, the first one, which is poor in spirit. 
Okay, so the important spirit. And you can kind of divide up the, the, the eight Beatitudes. The first four are what the world would actually kind of see as negative things. And in fact, um, you know, when you, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the Beatitudes because people know they're so famous. Jesus, Jesus makes this the, the center of his first main sermon to his followers. Even people in the world know, know these Beatitudes. Um, but the four are kind of ones that the world would say are, are probably not positive things, right? Like, why would you want to be poor in spirit? Why would you want to mourn? You know, why would you want to be meek? Um, why would you want to hunger? These are things that, that to the world don't make sense to be, to, to be positive things. You know, the last four are things that most people, even if non-followers of Jesus, would say, oh, those are probably good things. You know, being merciful, pure heart, peacemakers, during persecution. But we're going through each of these um, in order. And last week we talked about poor in spirit. All right? um, and just kind of recap uh, a little bit about being poor in the spirit. Um, you know, to be poor in spirit, as Priscilla talked about, is to be aware that we are in great need. Right? Awareness of that great spiritual need of experiencing more of God's grace in our heart, in our ministry, in our church, and society. Right? So that, that that awareness that we're actually poor, you know, having that awareness strike us, that realization that we're poor. Um, and the reward to be poor in spirit is to actually receive the kingdom of God, to receive the kingdom of heaven. We can't actually receive what we don't know we need. Right? So we don't have that realization that we're poor in spirit. How can we receive the kingdom, that kingdom reward for being, um, if we don't know that we need it? And Jesus actually gives this principle to the Pharisees later on in Matthew, uh, when they ask him, why are you hanging out with all these sinners? You know, you're, If you're really the Messiah, why don't you hang out with us? We're, like, we're the good guys. And, and uh, Oh, actually, this is not the good first one. This one. All right. So um, in Luke chapter 5, 31, Jesus answers the Pharisees and says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that realization, that poor in spirit realization that, oh, it's me. I'm the one who's sick. You know? The truth is we're all sick. Yeah. But only having the knowledge of that realization um, can you receive the kingdom of heaven, receive healing from Jesus. The Pharisees, it wasn't that they weren't sick, it's just they didn't know it. Yeah. They didn't know that they were sick. That first beatitude, poor in spirit, is having that knowledge, having that realization that we need. So, we're, you know, um, so, you know uh, that's uh, the first pillar. That's the most, and actually, arguably the most important. You can't receive all these other gifts of the beatitudes. You know, each of those beatitudes has a characteristic and a, re and a reward or a promise that comes with it. Being poor in spirit, you will receive the kingdom of heaven. The second one we're going to look at is mourning. The more be comforted. Right? So each of these rewards follows in sequence. Each of these promises follows in sequence. Right? But again, the primary thing is we have to first realize that we need it. Right? There's so many people that, that don't realize that we're needed. That's the very principle of the gospel is realizing, you know, calling people into repentance. John's baptism was because of baptism of repentance. Mm -hmm. yeah? Only people that repented would come to John to be baptized. That realization that mm, I didn't need. That's that, that thing that shakes us into searching, that shakes us into the second beatitude, which is morning. I, I forgot to hit this last verse that popped up here, but uh, back to it real quick. Before we jump into the second beatitude, I just want to talk again about Jesus giving these, these eight beatitudes in kingdom culture. When I was looking more into it, I didn't realize that it, actually there's a prophetic anointing onto what Jesus um, starts with in the beatitudes here. He's actually fulfilling prophecy. Jesus loves Isaiah 61. In yeah, fact, later yeah. on, when John come, John, um, John the Baptist later on asks Jesus, hey, are, are you in the middle of John's trials? He's, he's in jail, he's in prison, and he's doubting. And he's like, 
Jesus, are you actually the one? Jesus quotes to him, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is the prophetic promise of Messiah one day. He's going to come. And the Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And I always thought about, you know, this, like, you know, being people who are financially poor. And, and, and Jesus, there's, there's promises to financially poor, but he's actually talking about spiritual poverty here. He's talking about spiritual poverty. And that, that's even, you know, as, as harsh as financial poverty is, as much as we want to, you know, have um, to bless those who are financially poor. We're called to do that as Christians. The deeper Poverty is the poverty we all have, which is the poverty of the spirit. Yeah. We're all for it. Yeah. Greater promise, more than financial, you know, uh, prosperity is prosperity of the spirit in response to, to, to spiritual poverty. Mm. Right? And this is what Isaiah 61 is talking about. This is what Jesus starts off the Beatitudes with, is that he is anointed, he's the Messiah, because he's going to bring the good news to the poor. He's going to bring the kingdom of heaven in response to spiritual poverty, to those who know that we're poor and we need Good news, that's the gospel. The gospel comes to those who are spiritually poor. And that's why it's the first we have to do. And so Jesus is responding. Jesus is the fulfillment of his prophecy in Isaiah. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of the faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, those who hunger for righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. It's a mirror of Isaiah 61. Jesus loves this passage. It's the one that he gives to John the Baptist. Where John the Baptist says, are you truly the Messiah? Um, and so, you know, this is, uh, the Beatitudes are, are actually uh, partly fulfillment of that prophecy, that Isaiah 61 prophecy. So, let's dive into it even more. So, again, last week uh, we talked about being poor in spirit. That realization, that knowledge that we're in great need. And all of us as, as followers of Jesus, that's where we start. That's where we start, that realization that we are, we are in need. Right? Um, and then, um, so the second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn. And actually, again, in some translations, happy are those who mourn. That's such a contradiction, right? Happy are those who mourn. The world's like, what? What are you talking about? Happy are those who mourn. That's, linguistically, that doesn't even make sense, you know? Um, but again, this is spiritual mourning that we're talking about. So actually, when we're talking through the Beatitudes, and people in the world know it, um, but uh, they misunderstand what, what the Beatitudes are talking about. And uh, you see this all the time with the second Beatitude, um, even well-meaning. Uh, you know, recently, you know, my family went through some tragedy, and, and some of the comfort that you see on, on these, you know, comfort cards is, you know, bless are those who comforted. And while it's true, Jesus will comfort, you know, those who mourn um, tragedies or you know, difficult situations in your life, or loss of loved ones. Well, one day Jesus is going to come and wipe away every tear. But that's not the morning that he's that we're talking about that the attitude. It's a spiritual morning. Morning, our own sin. Right? So morning um, that great need. So that first beatitude, poor in spirit. I am in great spiritual need. That's how we see ourselves. That's that see. Okay, I'm in need. Second beatitude, morning. This is how we respond. This is how our heart responds to that realization. This is how we feel about what we see. Again, first beatitude, this is how we see ourselves. I'm poor. I, I, I'm in great spiritual need. I'm not self-sufficient. Uh, I'm not content uh, in... Um, where was that? I'm not uh, content just in, in being self-sufficient. I'm poor in spirit. How do I respond to that? What's my heart response to that? I'm not just self-satisfied. I'm not more about it. So I see that sin and needed me, 
and then how I feel about it is that boring response. You know, it's kind of like uh, that first beatitude is it's kind of like when you when any sort of struggle um, in life, you know, people who are alcoholics in Alcoholics Anonymous, that first step, that's that first step is I'm an alcoholic. I recognize it. I, I, I have a problem. I'm in need. Same thing that first beatitude, poor in spirit. I'm poor. I'm in need. How do I respond to it? What's that heart response? That's that, this is that second beatitude that we're talking about today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They're intimately connected. We truly see our poverty of spirit. We truly see our great need. That should inspire mourning. It should inspire us to feel sorrow about it. Sorrow about our sin. If we're not sorrowful, sorrowful. If you if we if you think back to the last time that you actually felt conviction about your sin, how how much that sin struck me. Boy, I'm a sinner. I think a lot of us, you know, in our day-to-day -day grind with work and the same things over and over again, road to day. We know in our heads that we're, we're sinners. We know in our heads that we have great need. But when's the last time you let the Holy Spirit strike your heart mm -hmm. like that? Yeah. Strike your heart cause you mourning. Because I think all of us as followers of Jesus would say, yep, yes, we are sinners. We are a great need. Right? But when is, when's the last time that, that we took that second step to let it cause us to mourn? And then, again, they're intimately connected. Um, and Because uh, when we see that spiritual poverty, it should cause us to feel differently if we're truly seeing it. Right? Yeah. Truly seeing it. Um, and, uh, and we can only really mourn if we do truly see it. If we truly uh, understand what, what's happening spiritually in our lives. You know, I think about um, you know, that principle of, of truly seeing cause us to truly feel. You know, when I, uh, when I was in college, all my roommates, when we were in college, like, boy, it is kind of a silly example, but like, you know, our roommates, we would make fun of each other all the time. Like, we would just make fun, like, everybody would make fun of each other, and it'd be a joking, ha, 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 but, like, if there was something wrong, like, somebody messed up or something, we would ridicule the heck out of them, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and one day, one of my roommates actually, like, told us, it's like, hey, guys, I know we all kind of, like, laugh about this and stuff, but actually, like, I, I feel really, like, it makes me feel really bad, you know? It really does. It really makes me feel depressed. And, uh, and, boy, that broke my heart, you know? Like, you, I thought, like, oh, we're just joking around and stuff, and, like, you know, and putting each other down, but kind of like, you know, in, in a joking, sort of sarcastic, a sarcastic sort of way. But when I saw it through his eyes, that boy, that actually is hurting his heart. That convicted my heart. I felt differently about it, more than about it. So yeah. I realized, boy, I saw for what it truly was, tearing a brother down. It wasn't yeah. just good joking. It wasn't just a funny joke or sarcasm. It's truly tearing a brother down. Yeah. I, I should cause it hard to mourn. You know? So allowing that being able to see it for what it truly is, seeing it, if we truly see it for what it is, then our appropriate heart response is mourning for it. Mm -hmm. Same thing with every sin. If it's not causing us to mourn, we have to think, am I truly seeing it for what it is? Wow. And yeah. everything, anger, gossip, and, we, and Jesus goes through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and hits on a lot of these things. Anger, lust, uh, you know, all these different uh, things actually Jesus uses these Beatitudes as a springboard to talk about all these sort of things. We're going to go into it as we continue to go through Sermon on the Mount. But just remember that principle that we have to really see it, what it truly is. And the Holy Spirit will answer that to us. So, and it should cause our hearts to fail. Alright, so we, um, so it is, so it's a spiritual mourning for our sin. And um, as we talk about spiritual mourning, I just wanted to go through a couple of passages just throughout the Bible where, where people are mourning, where people have that response. And one of the first that, um, that uh, where that same sort of uh, idea of spiritual mourning is Psalm 51 is what I thought of. Spiritual mourning for our sin, you know, the, the primary mourning for our sin 
is mourning because we've offended God. And David is the best example for that in Psalm 51. David, you know, man after God's own heart, and we always think about David as this, um, this great guy, but you know what, David, David was an adulterer, David was lying, David was a murderer. He murdered one of his best friends. He was a murderer. But his heart responds after this in Psalm 51, after, after Nathan comes and confronts him over his sin, he's broken in mourning. Right? So Nathan shows him, and David sees his sin for what it truly was. He didn't see it before. Right? So Nathan identifies that poverty in his spirit, and David receives that correction, and it causes his heart to mourn. Mm-hmm. And what does he say when he mourns? It's a shocking thing. He says, first of all, God, it's against you that I've sinned. Uh, he murdered a guy. Like, you know, he, he murdered a guy, he, he caused adultery, uh, the, the, the punishment was the death of his, of his son, but the primary sin, the primary sin, against you and you alone have I sinned. So David's response that morning identifies the most important, all of our sin is, is terrible, we sin against each other all the time, but Jesus later on in the parables talks about, actually our sin against each other is a very small debt. You know, it is bad, it's bad, yeah. small debt, but compared to the debt that we owe God, it is yeah. against God primarily that we have sinned. That should cause our hearts to mourn, cause our hearts to grieve, just like David did. Uh, he, he, he grieved so terribly that his servants actually were so worried. You know, David was grieving for his son. son was sick. I was like, I'm going to take your son. And, uh, and after his son died, his servants, like, couldn't even tell him. They were like, if we tell him, he might hurt himself. He might kill himself. That's how deeply grieved David was over his sin. So that's the, the mourning that that. that that, that caused him, David. Um, and uh, again, going back to that idea that um, that mourning is counter uh, is this counter idea to the to the culture. It's contradicted to the culture. This idea that people who mourn, um, blessed, happy are those who mourn. That's completely contradictory to what we hear here in the world, right? Like the world would say, like that's weird. You know, in fact, you need good vibes, all right? What you need is you need some positive thoughts, all right? You need to surround yourself with good energy. Here's some self-help books. Here's how you are like, you're worth it, all right? You are, you know, like, don't mourn. Like, that's the wrong response. Like, Jesus is happy are those who are mourn. How can Jesus say that? It's because of the promises that he gives us. The main promise he gives here in the Beatitudes is that those who are mourn will be comforted. And we're going to look at how we're comforted because he gives us the Comforter. Right? He gives us the Holy Spirit, whose name is the Comforter. All right? And because we mourn, only through mourning can we also produce change. All right? the, the, best, the best example of this is in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. All right? And he commends them for sorrowing. He commends them for mourning. Because of what that mourning produced in their hearts, right? because of what that mourning, how they responded to mourning. So this is his second letter. Paul's writing his second letter to Corinthians. He wrote a first letter. If you go back to the first letter, Paul just like hits a bunch of stuff in their church. It's like, yep, you're doing this wrong. You, know, you guys got to repent. You guys change this. You know, do this, do this, do that. And Paul writes these sort of letters, you know, throughout the epistles to all these different churches. You know, I, you know exhorting them to, to do this better, to do, you know, correcting things that are wrong. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he actually commends them for doing it. He said, the things that I wrote to you actually caused you to sorrow. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he commends them for godly sorrow and mourning in response to the correction that he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians in his first letter. All right? And he says, good for you. Like, I, I am uh, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of my sorrows, God has actually comforted me 
because you guys have sorrow, and then you guys have changed. All right, so this godly sorrow produced repentance or wholeheartedness, leading to salvation. What diligence it produced in you, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication that it produced in you. He was encouraged by that. He was comforted in the midst of his sorrows because of the sorrow that the, the Corinthian church took from his first letter and what it produced in them. It produced wholeheartedness. It produced breakthrough. It produced indignation against compromise. It produced fear of God. It produced vehement desire for Jesus. Zeal. That was only through sorrow. They could have received that first letter that Paul wrote to them and said, okay, yep, yeah, we've got to change this. All right, that sounds pretty good. You know, we'll make some practical steps. Here's a bullet point, you know, outline of what we're going to do differently. But Paul says, I'm, I'm covered because it didn't, you didn't just read the letter and say, okay, you know, we're going to do it. But you let it hit your heart and cause you sorrow. Right? And so more than just changing these things about your church, it actually changed your heart. Changed your heart. So let that, let everything that God points out to us, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of, let it produce mourning. And that mourning produces these fruits. So again, mourning sin, uh, mourning correction. Um, also, the other things that we mourn about, also mourning not just sin, but the gap between, so mourning our, our where we fall short, sin, you know, missing the mark, mourning our sin. But also mourning that we don't receive the fullness of what God has for us. It's the yeah. second aspect that we, that we mourn for. And that's what Isaiah mourned for. Not only not receive the fullness that we can receive, but what our, what our families can receive, what our churches can receive, what our nation can receive. You know, when, when Isaiah was struck with the truth of, of his poverty, you know, when Isaiah, in chapter 6, he saw um, God on the throne. He saw it. He said, woe is me. I'm undone because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. He mourned not just for himself and his lack, but he also mourned for his people too. He mourned for his country. He mourned for his nation. That's another area that we can mourn, not just for our own personal sin, our own personal falling short, but also that of our nation, for our the, the people that we're around, for our church, our body, our families, our nations. That's another area that we can mourn spiritually when we see that gap. Another great place that um, uh, we're talks about mourning is James. James, the, the, the brother of Jesus, one who knew, knew Jesus, talks about mourning, um, and he talks about mourning double-mindedness. James chapter 4, he says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Right? Let double-mindedness, let sin, um, let double-mindedness cause mourning in your heart. And in fact, in chapter 4, if you, if you, you, we don't have time to jump into it today, but James actually mentions... Um, Almost all of the attitudes in, in chapter four, he mentions being poor. You know, he mentions meekness. Uh, he mentions peace and purity. Um, and so it's almost like James was, was bringing those beatitudes into, into chapter four. It's actually before he had time to read the rest of chapter four. four. Um, so, kind of in summarizing this this second beatitude response, this mourning. All right. Um, again, it's what it isn't. It's not the mourning for personal disasters or for personal difficulties or trials or you know, loss of loved ones or things like that. But spiritual mourning in response to our, our own personal sin. And mourning in response to um, missing out on what God has for us in the fullness, what God has for our church and for um, for the nation and for the people around us. You know, I think uh, Mike Bickle says it best, feeling the pain of this godly desperation and holy discontent, 
causes us to be extreme in rearranging our life, to spend our strength, our time, and money to seek God for all that he would give. Our cry for more cannot be answered by human solution. Our culture so values comfort that our tendency is to seek and give the wrong comfort. Mm. Refuse to be comforted by anything less than God's highest. Refuse false comforts that are rooted in human sentiment. Don't let a well-meaning believer give you false comfort that steals your vision to experience all that Jesus has provided for you. Believers who have never been pained by their spiritual lack will miss out on much of what God desires for them. They are stuck in barrenness without being aware of it. That idea of that morning, don't let anything comfort you other than the comfort of the Lord. Anything comfort you other than the comfort of the Lord. Um, you know, I think sometimes when we're really broken about our sin, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, sometimes our, our, or we see somebody who's really broken with their sin, our, our tendency to comfort them is to be like, ah, no, you're okay. You're actually feeling really great. Like, you're, you're, you're the Lord. Mm-hmm. Actually, the truth is, no, we're all, we're all spiritually poor. <laughs> we're poor. <laughs> that is not the comfort. The comfort is that God gives us grace to lead to those things that, that Paul wrote about to this second in second Corinthians, the church, and it produces more zeal. It's like, yeah, you're right. You're spiritually poor. You're not doing well. I'm not doing well either. All right. We're all, we're all spiritually poor. Let it produce that morning. Let that morning cause us to have more zeal. Let it cause us uh, to repent. Let it cause us to produce those fruits, fruits that Paul talks about in the second Corinthian church. So how do we, how do we get there? How do we, um, how, how do we allow that morning to, to produce in our hearts when we see in our spiritual body? How do we let it strike our hearts? Uh, and, uh, you know, I was actually talking, uh, we were, some of us were talking in, uh, just this past week, actually, about um, a situation where, you know, like somebody had come, there's, um, somebody had, had really been broken up about sin um, in the past, and, and their response had been a lot of weeping, a lot of weeping, but again, you know, again, 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 you know, like over and over again, that sin didn't change in their life. They had, you know, they would, have, they would confess had a lot of tears, didn't produce change, didn't produce change. Um, and so that's the that's one pitfall we have to watch out for when we think about causing our hearts to mourn or responding to sin is um, not just let it be an outward um, outward uh, mourning, but that it actually uh, changes our hearts. So in Joel chapter 2, um, God talks about this to, this to the Israel people. Israel people were great about outward repentance, outward mourning, tearing clothes, Ashes on their heads, sackcloth. How do they put us to shame? You know, like, you think about, like, boy, like, they're, like, you see these people all the truly repentant. It's like, wow. Ter- I mean, when's the last time you tore your clothes or, like, scattered dirt on yourself? Like, they, you know, they, they love these outward expressions of mourning. Um, sackcloth. And uh, and actually, later on in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus condemns those who, you know, doing these outward shows without changing the heart. All right? and, and Joel, in the Old Testament, God speaks to the Israel people too and says, I want your sacrifice. I want you, yeah. you, you know, these yeah. things. I want you to rend your hearts, not your garments. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Let it not just be an outward change, outward expression of mourning, but let it really truly hit your heart, tear your heart. Yet even now, it declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Rend your hearts. Let it not just be an outward show, um, but actually let it hit your heart. Same thing with that passage we just saw in David, um, where David was talking about this, when God convicted his heart of his sin, and he saw his spiritual poverty, his mourning was not just the outward show, and he had really, you know, like, outward show, I and mean, again, his servants were worried that he was going to kill himself, but again, he says, you do not delight the sacrifice where I would give you. 
Do not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, for God you will not despise. Right. So it's the heart, that heart change. So that morning, not just weeping and tears and outward expression, uh, but letting the Holy Spirit really truly change our hearts. Um, and, uh, and it's only really by the Holy Spirit that we can do it. Only by the Holy Spirit because when we try to do it on ourselves, on our own strength, that's the risk. that's what happens. It's just an outward show, it's outward expression. Fall back into the same sin, fall back into it again. Have that same morning outward expression, but it won't change our hearts. It won't change. It won't produce uh, eternal fruit. It won't produce permanent change. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can do it. And the promise of Jesus in the Second Beatitude: Those who born will be comforted. That is through the Comforter. The Holy Spirit, His name is actually the Comforter. That's the translation. You receive comfort from the Comforter. Not just to say, okay, no, your sin's okay, but the Comforter actually produces change in our hearts. John, uh, and John, later on in the book of John, uh, Jesus talks about it. So the Holy Spirit not only brings conviction, so the, the Comforter in, in, in John 14 is the Holy Ghost, the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I said unto you. He is the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And also what he does is he brings conviction. So, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart, mourning has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the help will not come to you. But if I go out, send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Comforter brings that conviction. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that conviction into our hearts. Yeah. So, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Help my heart. My heart's heart. You know, our hearts are heart. We hear about sin. We can recognize it again in our mind. But for our hearts to actually receive it, change it, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. Right? And again, Jesus, when he's telling these things to the people, to his disciples, that, yeah, you're going to sorrow, but it's actually better for you to sorrow so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go away, that you sorrow because you receive the Comforter. The Comforter will bring this conviction, that conviction that changes your heart. He continues. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she will no longer remember the anguish for joy that a human being born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. So permanent joy, that permanent comfort comes through the Holy Spirit. That same passion that he's talking about, the comforter. Comfort, the help will come to you. Bring conviction. Bring true change to your heart when you mourn about those spiritual things. That's the gift of the comforter, the gift of conviction in our hearts. When we truly mourn, then the Holy Spirit has that permission in our hearts to change our hearts, to produce that fruit, to produce mercy, to produce true spiritual change, to produce true righteousness, victory over that sin. It's not just positive thinking. It's not just you know self-help. Not just you know, surrounding yourself with good vibes, but surround yourself with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit yeah. is the convictor, it's also the comforter. Praise God. That is how we can be happy in the That is how we have that, that upside down, inside out kingdom. Jesus says, you know, against all things in the world, the world is going to, you know, the world is just going to rejoice, but it's not true joy. The world is going to, the world is not going to sorrow, right? But you will weep and lament, but through that, you will be happy. True happiness. Happier those who mourn. They should receive true comfort, the true comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Change in our hearts. 
So, um, with that said, um, with that uh, with that idea, you know, again, kind of that same question we hit on earlier. When is the last time that us as believers let the truth of our sin hit our hearts? Let the Holy Spirit gave permission of the Holy Spirit um, to really convict our hearts of our sin. Not just tears, okay? mm -hmm. but actually cause it to, causes us to break our hearts. So, uh, so you know, I, after talking about this, you know, I wanted to spend some time to pray about that. Because again, like these last passages where Jesus says, it's through the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit. We can't strive our way through it. We can't kind of force our tears. You know, people that can fake, have you ever seen those people who can fake cry? You know, they can get, they can you rile yourself up and cry, right? You can rile yourself and do it. And then they like, you know, like they're actors, you know, they, you know, they just like stop a second later, you're like, wow, that's incredible. You can just like kind of do that. Um, so it's not, it is not just that outward expression, it's not just that. Tears are just the, the, the tears, you know, like people, we can, we can kind of emotionally rile ourselves up to do it. Um, but it's the Holy Spirit that brings that true conviction. So I just want to spend some time uh, responding to that prayer. Would you guys stand with me and let's just give the Holy Spirit permission to do that today. Let's give the Holy Spirit permission to cause our hearts to mourn. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, but then also to, to, to bring us true comfort. True comfort, true change in our lives. So, uh, so I'm going to play some music, but um, you, I just want to spend some time. Just close your eyes and uh, just let the Holy Spirit do that. To walk out the promises that Jesus gives and serve on the mountain. To walk out these steps of kingdom living. You know, as Christians, we, we oftentimes start with that first first beatitude, poor spirit. Yes, I know that. You know, I know I'm a poor spirit. But that second step, that second step is sometimes even harder. It's to let it cause our hearts to grieve, to cause our hearts to mourn. Even last week, you know, Priscilla was talking about her heart response to, to looking at poverty of the spirit. It caused her to grieve. That was the last time it caused her to grieve. Because like Isaiah, when we truly see God as, as who he is, it should shock us to say, woe is me, woe is me, I'm unclean. I live among the people that are unclean. Because the truth is we all are, we all are. Even those who are walking in the Lord, we're, we're searching, we're, we're still, every day, we're, we're Christians, we want to follow Jesus. The truth is we still have sin in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to change, wants to bring about righteousness. And a step into doing that is to, to mourn, to let our hearts respond properly to our poverty spirit. So just take a minute, just take a minute. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help my heart to mourn, to see my sin and to mourn. Cause me to grieve. That I may truly become. 